turn your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. You know, the, we've been in Romans now for a while, and we've covered much of the first 11 chapters. And those chapters typically are called doctrine chapters. They teach us about how we should be. From chapter 12 to the end of Romans, it teaches us how to apply what we've learned. And again, I've mentioned to you in the past about chapter breaks uh, and verse locations in the scriptures. And today we have another instance of a bad chapter break. You know, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, there were no chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter. And then somewhere along the way, the church fathers decided to put chapters and numbers in so that you and I could look up references and we could find places in Scripture. Instead of trying to read the whole book of Romans to find a particular verse, they said, hey, go to chapter 12 and verse 2. And so these were placed in. And this one's a place that's unfortunately where it is placed. Really, chapter 11, verse 33, should be the beginning of a statement that Paul makes that carries into chapter 12 through verse 2. So we're going to read it like that. When you find that Romans 12, just go back uh, a couple of verses to Romans 11, 33. Stand with me and we will we'll read, uh, standing together in honor of reading God's Word. Verse 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. I urge you, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. You see how those fit so well together, and really that's uh, just a continuation of what Paul began in his praise of God in chapter 11. And then he tells us how we should apply that praise, or how we should apply what we have learned in that statement he made in verse 12. Because God is who He is, and because you and I are who we are, we should therefore offer ourselves to God, because He is merciful. Right? And He is gracious to, to do for us something that we could never do. You know, that uh, statement there, to offer ourselves, goes along with the hymn that Isaac Watts wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And in that song, he wrote these words, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know, what is it to be a normal Christian? What we just read described it. You might think, oh, that's a supernatural Christian. That's, that's an elevated Christian. That's somebody who's really got it together in Christianity. And that's a mature Christian, somebody who can offer their selves to God. But I want you to understand 
that's not the case. This is a normal Christian, an everyday Christian, somebody who is not extraordinary, somebody who's just a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody who loves him, somebody who comes to church to worship for the right reason because they love him because they love one another. They love to be here at this place giving praise and honor to God to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. Now, to me, that's an amazing thing that God would want our bodies. I mean, after all, I can't even stand my body myself sometimes, right? The way I look, the way I... I carry myself sometimes, but God says, bring your body. I, I want you to know something. That word there in verse 1, bodies is not yourselves or an offering. It is your body. He's talking about your body, not your soul, not your spirit. He's talking about your body. He wants you to bring your body and offer that to him. Never thought of it so much like that. I always thought it had a little deeper meaning than that, but that's just what it means, cut and dried, plain as day, bring your body to me. Well, God, I don't know why you'd be interested in my body because the Bible teaches me that it is the seat of my flesh. Now, I know what flesh means. That's, that's the inherent nature that I have within myself that doesn't like what God likes. And doesn't want to do what God wants me to do. That's my flesh. But that flesh is somehow connected to this body. Because my body is the target of Satan's temptations. He might start it in my mind, but it comes out in my body. It comes out in my mouth, my fingers, my hands, my feet. It's what I say, it's what I do with my body that Satan targets to tempt me through, right? So why would God want something like that, the seat of my flesh and something that's a target of Satan? But that's what God says. I want you to bring your body to me. I want you to offer that to me. Normal Christian living requires that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and, and you are struggling with being a Christian. Maybe you haven't offered your body to him. Maybe you haven't done what he's asked you to do entirely in, in the book. You know, God, my body grows weak. The older I get, the wobblier I get. The older I get, the weaker I get. I find it an amazing thing that God would want my body. But that's what he's asking for. Now, I know that there's some people in this congregation that would say, Lord, surely you don't want my body. It's got B.O. It's got a bad heart. It's got a dirty mind. God, surely you don't want this body. But that's what God says right there in the text. Bring me your body. That's not yourself, not your soul, not your spirit. But, you know, God, my, my spirit's good. I mean, my spirit's great with you. And my soul, I, I bring my soul and I worship you with my soul, as the Bible tells me to do. But you really want my body? And God says, bring me your body. Unlike other religions that 
require you to get your body cleaned up before you come to God. God says, you got to start with me. you got to start with bringing me your body. You can't clean it up. You can't change it. You can't rearrange it. You can just bring it to me and offer it to me for my service. You don't have to clean up. You can't clean it up. You can't make it right before God. You can't be pleasing to Him in that way. But God, my body's full of problems. My body's what trips me up some of the times. My body is full of disappointments. My body is full of temptations. God says, I want you to bring it to me. Why does He want me to bring it? Verse 1 tells me at the end of verse 1, look at that, it says, which is your spiritual service of worship. God says, bring me your body, now you're really worshiping me. You know the word spiritual there, if you got into the, the Greek and the Hebrew and all of the deciphering of those words in English, it means uh, rational. God says, that is really your rational service to me. Now, what does rational mean? Well, you dig a little deeper in the Greek, and you find that the Greek word there for rational means logical. So now God is telling us, bring me your body because it is the logical thing for you to do. I want your body in service to me, is what he says. It's the logical thing for a Christian to do. It's the normal thing for a Christian to do. I don't remember when I offered God my body. I remember I repented, I confessed, I received the Lord Jesus into my life. I began going to church. He took away a lot of things out of my life. But I never really thought about offering him my body until I was uh, asked to be a youth director in our little local church. And I, I thought, boy, that, that's heavy because I'm, I'm I've only been a Christian a couple of years now and the pastor's come to me and asking me to volunteer to help work with the youth. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a youth pastor. I, I would just be a youth director. I wasn't in ministry. It was all voluntary work. But to me, I, I took that with great responsibility working with those kids in my neighborhood, if you could call that a neighborhood where I lived, but they went to church there. And, and I took great responsibility, and I, I began to realize that God was calling me to give more of myself to Him. And I remember reading this scripture, offer your body to me as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means I give it to Him. And I say, God, you do with it what you want done with it. I'm taking it out of my control, and I'm putting it into your control. You know, we think we should just do that with our spirit, right? Or with our soul, or our mind. But here God says, I want your body. You know, some of us think, well, we, we can do good with our body. Well, it, it makes sense for me to give it to God, but, but I, I can, I can uh, take care of my body. I can preserve my body. I, I can make it become Christian in the way that I live and do things. I, I can paint it. 
I can pour lotion all over it. I can keep it soft. I can put it in some sunshine and give it nutrients. I, I, can, I can do this and that. And God says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're forgetting that the body is for me to use, not for you to preserve. God says, I want to use your body. In fact, I want to use it up. I want to take it down to the bottom in service to me. God says, if you use the body for yourself, you'll abuse it. You'll misuse it. You'll shame it. But if you bring it to me and allow me to use your body, God says, I will spread love to the people around you through your body. I will bring peace to those at your workplace through your body. I will bring joy to your family through your body. If you'll give it to me, I will do this for you. Man, who would resist that? Who would want not to give God their body if he makes that kind of an offer to us? But he does. And if we keep it for ourselves, we end up misusing it. We end up abusing it and shaming it. But if we give it to God, certainly he would bring that joy and peace and grace and love and healing to the people around us. By the way, did I mention he said it's the logical thing to do? It's the rational thing to do to bring your body to God. God is interested in your spirit, yes, and your soul, in your heart, in your mind. But he also wants your fingers and your feet, in your head, in your eyes, in your ears. He wants all of you. He wants your body. So Paul says, because God is who he is, oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Because of who God is and who you and I are, sinners saved by his grace and mercy, God says, do the logical thing and bring me your body. So we got that taken care of. How, how do I give God my body? Well, he tells me there that I present it to him. I offer it to him. That word present is in the Greek errorist tense, which means it's a one-time thing. You don't keep offering God your body over and over and over. You make a decision in your life, Christian, that you're going to do it, and you do it one time. The tense of the word in present is errorist tense in the Greek, which it was written in, and it means a one-time offering. Give it to him. You can't take it back. It's in his hands now. Amen? So God says, make that offering to me. Now, there's a couple of things that you need to do on top of that. Let's look in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed and be transformed. So you offer God your body. How do you do it? You just bring it to him. You offer it to him. He will take it. And then he says, now you need to do a couple of more things. You need to not be conformed any longer, and you need to be transformed from now on in your mind, the way that you think. Both of these commands in the Greek are present tense commands. That means you do them continually. The first one, you present it to him, a one-time offering. 
The second two, conforming and transformed, are a continuous thing. And we need that. Amen? We need that continuing of being not conformed and transformed. So how do I go from being transformed and stop being conformed? Well, of all the things about Christianity that I ever try to teach about, I want to make sure that you understand that the playing field is level at the cross, right? Everybody comes to the cross on the same ground. But when it comes to this text where you stop being conformed and you be transformed, that playing field is no longer level anymore. Because you might have been raised in an abusive home. You might have been raised in a home that didn't go to church. You might have been raised in a home that was uh, abusing you verbally, mentally, sexually. Or you might have been raised in a good Christian home. You might have been raised in a home that yelling was a part of life. And degrading the children was a part of life. Or you might have been raised in a home that was nurturing to you. So it's not easy for someone who comes out of an abusive home as compared to someone who comes out of a Christian home to be transformed. You see that? You might have fallen into the sin of alcohol or drug abuse or sexual promiscuity in your life. Or you might have been a person who never was indulging in any of those. So when it comes to being conformed, not to be conformed, but to be transformed, you see how the playing field is not the same? It's more difficult for someone who's been abused in their life to be transformed. I know Jesus can do it, but they still have a longer road of recovery to heal up and get over that hump of being acceptable to God than a person who comes from a good Christian home, knowing that they are accepted of God, not by their merit, but because of His grace. And so we understand that the playing field may not be the same. So it doesn't change anything. It's still the idea that you not be conformed anymore to this world, but that you be transformed. The world there in verse 2, I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 2, doesn't necessarily mean world. It means age. All right? Do not be conformed to this age. Now it helps you understand what he's saying. Don't be conformed to the way this world thinks. Don't be conformed to the way that this world operates. Don't be conformed to this age. Another text in Galatians chapter 1 says this. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Now you see what he's saying there? Don't be conformed to this age, this way of thinking, the way that the world looks at things. You know, Satan has been given dominion in this world. There's a purpose in that, in God giving him that dominion. But here in the text on the screen, Paul talks about Satan's dominion. And he says, and even if our gospel is veiled, 
it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan goes around blinding the minds of the unbelieving. Paul calls him the God of this world, right? God, the Father, has given Satan dominion in this world at the present time to deceive those who would unbelieve, to drag down those who would not receive Christ, who would reject the Messiah, who would reject the Lord. And Paul is writing to us, we don't need to be conformed any longer to that way of thinking. Why? Because I've offered my body to God. I believe in Him. I love Him. I want Him. And so I'm giving Him my life, my soul, my spirit, my body. And now He's teaching me, don't be thinking like the world anymore. Don't fall into those traps. So what is the change that needs to take place in a believer is this, that he needs to live in such a distinct contrast to the world. And we've all heard of the big five, smoking, drinking, playing cards, dancing, and going to movies. Hallelujah, did you ever have that preached at you when you was a kid? We all did. The big five is what we call them, right? And those are all external things, right? Smoking, drinking, playing cards, dancing, and, and going to movies. You know, going to movies today is just almost beyond the Christian's realm because you can't go into one that's worth watching. But I'm not going to get into that. I'm just telling you that here's what we do. We don't be conformed to the world. And God is certainly interested in the external things of a Christian's life and how he lives in front of the world. But God is not hammering you about smoking, drinking, playing cards, dancing, and going to movies. What God is wanting you to see is that the transformation takes place in here, and then the external things take care of themselves. It's not the external things that are changed which changes this. This changes first, and then the external things will change with it. That's what God is interested in. And so, here's a quote that I have from a man named John Murray about change. He said this, Conformity to this age are wrapped up in the things that are temporary. To have all our thought oriented to that which is seen and temporary. If all our calculations, plans, ambitions are determined by what falls within life here, then we are children of this age. What's he saying there? He says, man, if all your goals in life are in this world alone, then you are a child of this age. Paul tells you, don't be conformed to that any longer. Change your thinking. Change the way you look at things. The world, as he says here in verse 2, the age is a godless way of thinking. You and I are to live in the light of eternity. I know I've got to take care of my family. I know I have to earn money to provide for a home and bills and electricity and all the things that we need in this life. I know we have to do that. So does God know that. But don't make that your goal. 
Some of you are shooting at retirement right now. Don't make that your goal. That's just part of life. We prepare for that. And then we step into it and we live it. But don't make that the goal of your life. Don't make all your calculations based on that. Base them on eternity. The things that last. All of this will be burned up. Amen? All of this will be gone. It's what we do in Christ that lasts. And so Paul says, don't think like the world anymore, but be transformed now. Think differently than the world thinks. And so, be transformed how? By the renewing of my mind. Let's read that. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, we're sure getting deep in this subject of the normal Christian life, aren't we? I thought the normal Christian life was just getting saved and waiting for the gospel ship to swoop down and catch me up to heaven. That was the normal Christian life. I didn't know it involved all of this sacrificing of my body and being transformed by my thinking and blah, blah, blah. It does. That's the normal Christian. If that's where you are not, you are subnormal, brother. You are not even close to where you should be if you're not thinking about these things. If you're not running through this process of giving up the temporary for the eternal, of changing the way that you think, the way you see, the way you feel about people, the things that are going on in your life, if those aren't affecting you. Man, I don't want to do that anymore. Why don't you want to do that anymore? Because Jesus is with me. That's why. If you're not thinking that way, you're subnormal. I want to elevate you at least to the normal Christian life, let alone going into the exalted Christian life. We're just talking about a normal Christian. So think about what you think about. Don't be conformed to this world. Go out and work hard. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Just take care of today. So don't worry about the future. Just put it in God's hands. Put your body into His hands. Stop thinking like the world. Start thinking like Christ and then be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Well, how do I do that? The word tense there for us, as I've mentioned in this morning's message, to be transformed is two tenses actually in the Greek. One is a passive tense. That means it's the work of God to be transformed in your mind. But it is also in the imperative tense, which means that you have responsibility in the discipline that comes along with God working in your life and changing your mind. So God's working in you to change your mind. You have then responsibility to apply and to learn more and to discipline yourself in that change. Amen? Now, where's the balance of that? Well, it's in Philippians chapter 2 on the screen with me. Here we go. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is putting it in the normal Christian. He's putting it in that normal Christian to will himself to work for God's pleasure in his life. To offer myself to God, not to work to please God, to work out my salvation. What does that mean? That means that there are going to be days when you don't know what to do or which way to turn or how to react. How do you work that out? You come to the Lord and you pray and He gives you advice. He gives you instruction. He gives you training. He's shaping you. He's conforming you to His image of His Son, unconforming you from the world. And all of that is called transformation. God's changing you. He's sanctifying you. You've heard of that big church word. I think this week sometime we're going to sanctify Gail's little new dog. What does that mean? <laughs> that means to cleanse. Sanctified means to cleanse. I'm going to go over there and sanctify Reggie. He's going to be cleansed. Going to get him a bath, right? I'm teasing you. You understand I would never think about sanctifying a dog. But what I'm telling you, that's what the word means, to be cleansed. So God is cleansing you. He's transforming you. He's sanctifying you. He's making you into the image of His Son. That's what He wants you to be like. He wants you to sound like Jesus when you talk. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, he wants you to wave with all five fingers. Okay? That's what he wants you to do. When somebody gives you the one finger, he wants you to smile and wave back. That's what Jesus wants you to do. So God's going to shape you into the person where you know what? When that happens, that will be your reaction. You won't hardly even think about returning the favor. You'll just wave and say, Jesus loves you, right? That's what Jesus wants. That's what God's trying to do is make you into that type of a person. Won't you let him do that? Won't you offer him your body today? Stop thinking like the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do I renew my mind? It takes me uh, obedience it takes me to turn away from my sin. It takes me to think like God would think. It takes me to understand that when, as I said earlier, when I go to do something and I suddenly think, I can't do that. Why can't you do that? Because Jesus is with me. I can't do that in front of Him. There's no shame in thinking that because it's true. You don't want to do that in front of Him anymore. In fact, you don't want to do that whether He's in front of you or not. Because that's not how you feel anymore. That's not where you want to go anymore. You know, I remember when Gil and I quit the scene we were living in, and people would tempt us with that again, and all I could think of was this. No, I know where that leads. I've been there. I don't want to go there anymore. I've have somebody new in my life. Let me introduce you to him. They were gone. 
right? I wasn't trying to run people off. It just happens. It just happens. What does light have to do with darkness? What does righteousness have to do with unrighteousness? Do not be yoked together. Don't make your friends the friends you were, would be ashamed of if Jesus was with you. Don't make those your friends anymore. Make new friends. Come to church. Get in this family. Grow up. Be a man. Stand up. Be strong. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. So let's do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's the primary source of this change in my life? God's Word. Amen. If you've been a Christian a short time, I, I know that God has got a hunger in you to read His Bible. You cannot put it down. You can't get away from this Word. Why? Because you are a sponge who is empty and you need to soak up some good. I remember when we were saved, there was so much bad and negative in my life that God just removed. I felt like I was an empty void walking around. I was empty. All the bad was being taken away, but I didn't realize all of the good that God was putting into me. But I knew this, I couldn't put his Bible down. I couldn't put the book down. I read it all the time. It was amazing to me that I'd grown up in church and knew all of these stories, but when I got saved at 34 years old, this was brand new. And I just was soaking it up. It was, it, it was intriguing to me. It was beautiful to me. It was what I needed. And then I realized what was happening. God took all the negative out. He's putting positive in there. He's filling me with good things, positive things, right things. You see, He was transforming me. He was sanctifying me. He was making me to the image of His Son. Have I got there? No, I haven't gotten there yet. i got a long way to go. But I'm on that road. It's a process in all of our lives that we need to be on. You know, the Bible speaks to every area of our lives, to the relationships that we have with the opposite sex and with our family. It speaks to the disappointments in our lives. It speaks to how I should handle my money. It speaks to how I should uh, take care of my possessions. It speaks about the entertainment that I should go to. It even speaks about politics and how I should associate myself with a particular party. The Bible speaks on that. It tells me what and when and how to do those things. So get into the Word and get, if you're not in the Word, you're a setting duck. Amen, you're a setting duck for Satan because Satan will come by and he'll say, oh, God didn't say that, and you'll fall for it. That's exactly what he said to Eve, was it not? He said, did God really say that you would die? You won't die. So she said, well, maybe not. <laughs> Took the fruit. If you're not in the Word and you don't know what God says then you're a sitting duck because you don't know, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're not being cleansed. You're not being transformed. One source of transformation is God's Word. What's another source of transformation? Good Bible teaching. Man, if you don't like Charles Stanley, you are a subnormal Christian, brother. Amen? That guy's solid. You know, he's an old man. 
but he's solid. If you don't like Adrian Rogers, you are below subnormal Christian. Adrian Rogers is a solid Bible teacher. He teaches the Word. Amen? So get you somebody in your life that's teaching the Word of God. That's a resource that you can fall back on. How about the examples of godly men and women in your life? Somebody that you know. You know, I, I can't ever tell you how much I... Going back to our old way of living, not going back to that, but going back to where that happened and people we know and meet, and they are just amazed that we, Gail and I, got out of that life. And they just want to give us all the praise and we stop them dead in their tracks. Like I tell you all the time, I didn't change my life, he changed my life. But I want you to know, there's people in our lives that we saw on that bad side of living and all of a sudden now they're in church. And all of a sudden now they're walking with Jesus. You need to hang on to one of those people. Why? Because they got Jesus. Amen. Jesus changed their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? And so get a hold of somebody that you see that has made that transformation. Allowed it in Jesus Christ doing it for them. The result of this now is found in our text. What's the result of this transformed life? Let's look again, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is. Wow, how, how am I going to prove what, what the will of God is? What that is saying is that you prove in practice. You prove in practice what is acceptable to God, what is perfect in God. He's really talking about the moral will of God revealed in the Bible. You know, you and I can't read the mind of God. We can't really know the will of God unless He reveals it to us. So what is the will of God that He's revealed to us? He's given us a moral law to live by. There are things that we do. You know, our society has thrown that out the window. There's no more morality in, in America, except for the church. You look at shows, they're living together. You look at primetime television, they're sleeping together. It's all part of the game. It's all part of life. They've thrown the moral will of God out of society. Listen to me. It's a decision that we have to make. I'm not going to cheat on that test tomorrow at school. Even though I'd probably get a better grade. But I'm not going to do it because I know it's against God's will. And you know what happens? Ultimately, you might get a worse grade on that test, but ultimately... Your spirit and soul is more satisfied in Christ. And you keep making those decisions. I'm not going to sleep with my boyfriend. But what if he leaves and goes to another girl who will sleep with him? But I'm not going to sleep with him because I know it's against God's will. You might lose your boyfriend. But ultimately, your spirit and your soul are satisfied in Christ. And you keep making those decisions, young people, 
and old. You keep making those positive, moral, godly decisions in your life. And you know what happens? Those other people are down in the dregs. And you are up on the highway to heaven with Jesus Christ. Because you're making moral, godly decisions in your life. Hey, you may not get that scholarship to Harvard unless you teach on the cheat on the test. Who wants to go to Harvard anyway? You see what I'm saying? Make those decisions. By doing this, by offering your body, by not being conformed, by being transformed, now you can prove by practice what the will of God is, the moral law of God in this world. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's God's will that's good. It's God's will that's acceptable. It's God's will that is perfect. Let me close with this. Today's date, October 2nd, 2022. You may be a Christian in this room, but you've never given God your body. Draw a line in the sand in front of you with your foot in that pew. And when we stand up to sing, I challenge you to step across that line and come down here and give God your body at this altar. Who knows what will happen in your life? Oh, you're, you've been a Christian. You've been one for a while. And you've got your soul and your heart and your mind and all of that worshiping God and it's all gelling together. But there's just something not right in your life. There's something you've held back. And I know what it is. This morning we discovered it. It's your body. God, you wouldn't want my body. Yes, he does. He made no distinction here about what it looks like, smells like, sounds like. He said, bring it to me. You have to start with that. Bring him your body. Today's the day you can do it. You know, we don't really like change. Brother Clay, I'm old enough, I don't want to change. Let me, re let, me, let me help you clear that up. It's not that you don't want change. You love change, but you hate it at the same time. What you really want is for everything to stay the same, but for it to be different. You really want your life to stay the same, but you want it to be different. You know, that cannot happen. Unless you allow change by offering your body to God. Maybe you don't know him at all this morning. Maybe you don't offer him body, soul, spirit, or anything. But you know you're a sinner. And you know that you're not saved. And you know that you're headed to doom without Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today you can take care of that right here in this place. You can come to this altar. I'll help you. I'll help you pray a prayer. I'll help you to understand. I'll do what I can do. But make that decision. Bring him your body. Bring him your life. Bring him your all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. And I pray that you would help us, Father, over the hump. And help us to commit to you even more of our life, more of our heart, our mind, our soul, perhaps even our body this morning, Father. Let us all place it in your hands that you would be glorified through us. And we would share Jesus as 
a faithful witness to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.